G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. My name's Liam O'Donnell and this show will, we hope, truly educate and entertain you with a mission to do a couple of things. Firstly, to blend the world of personal development with pop culture and making the conversation around self-improvement, philosophy, things of that nature far more sexy and more impactful for the masses. One way we do that is through these conversations, either with just myself or with some incredible people that will feature on the show from a wide variety of worlds such as neuroscience, health and fitness, philosophy, business, sports, leadership, and even the entertainment space, which will be very exciting. The second part of our mission is to raise $1 million towards brain injury recovery and brain research, which is very dear to my heart. You can hear more about that on our social channels. In recent years, I've become obsessed with the idea of learning. And not only has this had real world benefits like skill acquisition, and a far more powerful approach to life, but I've bloody loved the process. And my hope with this show is to do the same for you, to add real value, but to help you fall in love with learning again and have a lot of fun along the way. So for now, subscribe and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Braintainment Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all things brain health, the nervous system, the body, how it all relates, and how we can optimize these things to our advantage. I'm joined today by Dr. Robin Leader. And Robin, you just sit tight for a moment while I give the guys listening some context as to who you are, and then we'll dive into it. Robin is the director at Greensboro Family Chiropractic and has been in practice for over 20 years. She's a highly experienced chiropractor who has also completed postgraduate studies in chiropractic neurorehabilitation at the Carrick Institute for Graduate Studies in the US and is a member of a number of organizations in the field. For a little more context, her taking advantage of neuroplasticity concepts is a holistic functional healthcare approach to nervous system disorders. Her emphasis is on our physiology and how our nervous system works and how it all connects. Why that's important to all of us is because her approach and her understanding can ultimately help us feel better, which should be the North Star for all of us. She's also the co-author of Your Brain, Your Life, Make It What You Want, which is a fantastic read for anyone wanting to get a simplified understanding of their brain and their nervous system without too much jargon. I've been fortunate enough to have connected with Robin a few months ago with regards to my own troubles with a brain injury some years ago, and she's helped immensely. So given her extensive experience in the field, her knowledge around the brain, the nervous system, and her passion for helping people optimize these things for a healthier mind and a more enjoyable life, I couldn't think of anyone better to connect with today than this woman. So with that all said, welcome, Robin. Thank you, Liam. It's a pleasure to um, connect. So just to expand a bit more on what I touched on in the intro, could you maybe tell us a bit more about what it is you do and perhaps maybe a surface level idea of some of the science behind it? Uh, I love taking advantage of the concept of neuroplasticity. So I guess I'm always looking beyond the symptoms and trying to figure out how we can integrate better and organise our nervous system better in able to then eliminate our symptoms. I guess that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So I'm always trying to learn better techniques, better ways of tapping into that um, concept of neuroplasticity to take advantage of it. Yeah, and and like I touched on in the intro, you've been amazing with myself and I know a number of other patients. Just just quickly before we um, dive into some really interesting topics, I suppose, how did you end up 
in this space? Was there a particular reason um, or a draw card that kind of led you down this path of chiropractic and neuroplasticity and things of that nature? Most definitely. I had always been interested in health as a little girl. Uh, that's not where I started out. I started doing engineering, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> found, I know, <laughs> big, big change. But once I, I found my path and just decided that, you know, I wanted to help people, chiropractic was my first choice because I'd grown up with that. So I'd had fantastic experience and results with chiropractic as a little girl and going through teenage years and as a young adult, and it just seemed to be home to me. So, you know, my parents had always looked at the natural side of things and not, um, you know, given us Panadol and medication just as a symptom popped up. So that was a natural choice for me. But what happened um, to myself, so my, my personal journey, I guess, I had a bit of an accident, uh, goodness, 15 years or so ago, and I damaged my spinal cord, a mild damage to my spinal cord and a nerve root injury. And so that really changed my life in a, a, you know, in a good way now, I can say that. I went to many different colleagues and no one could help. And then my, a, a um, girlfriend, another colleague of mine, had just completed the neuroplasticity course, um, two-year course, and so she just pretty much said, you got to dive in. So that's that's how I ended up doing what I was doing, yeah, having no idea what I was about to embark on, but it was, it was fantastic, just opened up um, a whole lot of things and obviously personally helped me and gave me the tools to be able to just move forward, yeah. It's interesting how life plays out sometimes, isn't it? It is, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with some of the basic stuff. And like I touched on, um, you know, there's, there's a lot I want to cover um, in a short period of time, but let's start with the basics. What does... What does good posture look like uh, and where do people go wrong? And maybe a bit about what impact that ultimately has uh, on our body, our brain and our life experience. I think everybody would know what good posture looks like, you know, more upright, more open, etc. cetera. Um, a lot of people tend to focus on muscle tone and and um and having strong muscles and you know whether it's bulking up or looking great but I think if we can focus on our postural muscles which means that we're able to hold ourselves in an upright position so in a really simple way we have a bit of a range and so we want to be able to be in that neutral range so we've got more access to flexion and extension or moving forward and moving back and you know, from left to right example and, and rotation. So posture is such a window into nervous system function because it's controlled by very special areas in the brainstem. And they're also areas that are connected to many other wonderful things like our heart rate and heart rhythm and pain modulation and lots of things like that. So I guess the biggest thing that I can see where people go wrong with posture or if we think about the gym or exercise is many people are just focusing on wanting to look good outwardly and we really need to, to try and focus on the balance with what we're doing in an exercise way. But what's controlling it is the nervous system. So you can have good posture and not necessarily be a gym junkie or doing your Pilates, etc. 
some of the things that posh, or I should say, what doesn't posture affect is probably more of an appropriate question. Posture affects everything from our cognition to our memory, our mood, our autonomic nervous system. So they're all things that we don't think about or we shouldn't have to think about. As I said before, heart rate and heart rhythm. Posture makes us more efficient. So, you know, we can be moving more efficiently, which means that it will affect our energy levels. It's not as such a good posture means it's not such an effort to move through life physically. It also means, yeah, that's a really big one. I think people are so tired these days um, and focus on, I need more energy. But if we can look at, at efficiency in the body, then we're just naturally going to have more energy. I was just going to say the big thing also is it means that we're less prone to injury. So, for example, if we're round-shouldered and then we're going to jump out on the tennis court or or play golf or go to the gym, we've got less room to move. So it means that our, just simply speaking, it'll mean that our flexors or our, our front muscles are a little bit more developed or more hypertonic is what one of the words we use in neurology, a little bit more um, activated than our extensors or our back muscles in our upper body. And so you've, it's so much more effort to actually move the shoulders backward. So when you think about it, you could be sitting at, the, at your desk and your shoulders are already rounded and these muscles at the back are working so hard just to try and hold yourself upright and that will obviously lead to, you know, injury, repetitive strain injury or postural injuries um, that we tend to blame on our, our desk height and chair and all of that sort of stuff. And, that yeah, so that's a really, really big one. Also, um, digestion. You know, if you think about if you're just sitting at the chair now and we just, we just slump, it's like all of those areas below the, you know, the rib cage get squashed, your chest gets squashed a little bit. And there's no way you can breathe more efficiently or digest your food efficiently. So, then, I mean, I could talk about posture forever. <laughs> Man, this really, really fascinates me. So, look, admittedly, I have been guilty in the past of prioritizing the, my aesthetics. And I know some people listening might be able to relate in terms of how they look. Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> and again, admittedly, that's, you know, that's, that's still part of the motivating factor behind exercise. But um, I know for myself and people that I've had conversations with recently, I'm far more interested in. Some of those things you mentioned, like mood and efficiency and certainly digestion, and it's really interesting to hear, uh, to hear you speak pretty eloquently about how even just one thing, focusing on our posture and, and, and how our body is moving and how it's sitting when we're at, in a stationary position, how those little things can affect so many other areas um, of our life. And it kind of uh, moves me into something I want to run by, but you kind of touched on it, which was just some of the symptoms that you're presented with from patients that come into your clinic that may very well relate to an array of, of different reasons. Um, could you maybe just expand a little bit more on that? So what kind of symptoms do people present themselves with? And, and how, I guess how does your approach sometimes alleviate some of those symptoms? I get a whole lot of symptoms or a whole lot of people walk in the door with a, a whole range of things. I love chronic issues and that could be chronic pain or mood disorders when I say balance disorders, people presenting with things like vertigo or disequilibrium is what we, we sort of call it. Yeah, lots and lots of stuff. I'm not, I certain symptoms are important, but to me, my approach would be 
how can I help this person perhaps better organize their nervous system better so that we're able to heal ourselves? So with the brain being our most vital organ then, yep. and, uh, and the nervous system obviously as well, do you think people in today's world have a strong enough focus on actually improving their brain health and their nervous system health? Most definitely not. I think it's like anything. We're, we're, we're not aware until it slams in the face, and which is what happened to me. And, and a lot of people, it's like everything's going along perfectly well, you know, not feeling anything, no pain, no anxiety, no whatever it is, and, and I'm okay. We don't think about brain right. except perhaps when we start to get a little bit older and we think, oh, okay, I'm not remembering as, as sharp as I used to or I'm not moving as well. And most people would just put that down to, oh, that's normal, that's like getting older, that's what happens. And I've always been someone that's like, nah, <laughs> that's, you know, I don't want that. I want to be hopefully, you know, the best person, the best version of myself at this point in time that I can be. And that's, to me, just naturally leads into brain function and all the things that it affects because it controls every single cell in your body. And it's the very, very first uh, system to develop after conception so before our heart and before our lungs and you know those things which are obviously very important but when you think about the nervous system which you know encompasses not just brain but you know different parts of the brain and the spinal cord and our peripheral nervous system and all of these areas and you know it coordinates your immune system for example and the, and the chemistry and blood flow you think why why are we not focused on it and um, yeah, but people, we just don't think about it because we're not aware. And, you know, as I said, until something goes wrong, which is usually something pretty big, like an injury or a stroke or, you know, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I touched on, it is the most vital organ and you've spoken about just quite nicely there as well. It's, it's actually crazy how little focus uh, it seems anyway, um, from an outside perspective, is placed on, on the brain and, and improving its health. Um, and I think it, often it is too little, not too little too late, but it is often as a result mainly of some sort of injury or ailment that people start to prioritize it. And particularly when you start thinking about the symptoms that can play out like poor digestion and anxiety and things of that nature, maybe we can touch on a few more of those um, a little bit later in this chat today. But it is just fascinating how little people do prioritize and ultimately that's the goal with this show and, and to get people like yourself that are so um, knowledgeable and experienced in that space to come on and just share some thoughts around it to kind of, I guess, encourage the conversation around prioritizing brain health um, a little bit more. Uh, without diving, without um, going off topic too much, do you have any top tips for people to start improving their brain health? If they're listening and they're going, you know what, it all makes sense, I need to... I need to optimize in some way. Do you have any go-to or a starting point, I suppose, for those people? Yeah, I think a really, really simple way to look at health is training ourselves to think well, move well, and eat well. And when you look at those three things, it, it's not everything, but it certainly encompasses a lot. And for most of us, you know, I think if we learn to actually think better, that can just change your life. And, you know, there, there's a whole whole can of worms we could open up with that sort of stuff. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's a really big thing. So, And it comes with just 
first of all, being aware. So most people, again, are not aware or they just think, well, this is just me or this is my personality. And, you know, that's very stuck thinking and, and, and habitual. And, again, we're all creatures of habit. But until you look at examining yourself and and how you are and what you like or what you're scared of or your fears and those sort of things and take time. That's the really big thing is most of us don't take time to actually have some insight and to examine ourselves. Then we just keep doing the same stuff over and over again. And that's what actually leads to, you know, getting old and and ill health down the track. And when you're young, you get away with it. Most people get away with it until, you know, you sort of get to, you know, couple of decades older than than yourself, Liam, and it's like, oh, okay. Sure. You know, you don't bounce bounce back, bounce back as quick or you become more inflexible with things and less able to adapt to new situations. The other really big thing and that just new situations is the brain really loves new novel things. Okay. So anything that you can do that's new and if you're you know obviously passionate about it, or, you know, when you learn something and you don't have to be fantastic at it, but just just do something different. You know, people talk about, oh, brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand and all of that sort of stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, we can sort of do, and that, all those things are great, but even just change your routine during the week. As I said, we're all creatures of habit. So something different and new is very good. Do you think that's where people get stuck sometimes in terms of, you know, do you think people get stuck in a rut and a feeling of, of lethargy almost and fatigue and then some of the other symptoms that might come as a result of that. Do you think that's, at least to an extent anyway, as a result of having no novelty and their brain craving it? Without a doubt. Absolutely without a doubt. And see, new new things get processed that come into the central nervous system, get processed in a very different way to things that are not new. So, you know, we, we all know like the effort it takes to learn how to, ride a bike you know when you're little and then you know a few weeks later you don't even think about it or you know driving the car for example so they're very different systems that are underplayed in the in the nervous system so yeah the brain's just sort of like oh yeah same old stuff and it's just not being stimulated as well as it could I guess that encompasses obviously exercise, but a lot of those really ancient ways of moving or practices like Tai Chi, Qigong and yoga are very good just from a movement perspective, let alone all the other benefits because they're mindful. You know, you have to concentrate on your movement. Uh, So that's a really big thing. And obviously eat well, you know, just be careful what you put in your mouth. (laughs) Um, Or I should say try to avoid, you know, things that we don't know. The body doesn't know how to naturally process, you know, so avoiding all the artificial stuff. Looking at it just from a slightly different angle, so, you know, that think well, eat well, move well, they're really great, I think, guidelines. But another way is the brain or the nervous, the nerve cells, they actually need oxygen to survive and they need stimulation. So it's we're sort of saying the same thing but in a different way and that brings us back to stuff like posture or breath awareness, you know, which can, you know, lead us into meditation and those sorts of things or just being still enough to actually breathe and activation. So if the nerve cells, any nerve cell in the body is not getting that appropriate fuel in the form of oxygen primarily, 
then it doesn't matter how much work you do to stimulate things, it's not going to be a healthy nerve cell. And then those nerve cells are not going to talk to what we call, you know, their brothers and sisters and um, and stimulate or activate other areas of the brain. So when you peel everything back, it's look at those three big things, eat your food, eat the right food, chew your food really well because that's where digestion starts as well in the, in the mouth, not in the gut. Move well, so start to think about stretching or some practices where you need to be more mindful and walking is great but walking just doesn't cut it for most of us because it's it's such a autonomic movement pattern sure yeah the other big thing is is thinking well yeah they're probably the main things simple simple stuff so fascinating and that's where people need to start right complexity is the thief of execution it applies to business and it applies to um, certainly our health and our mindset right totally just stop just stop, 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 and just where am I at? You know, what what are my habits? What am I doing? And, um, you know, whereas when we get too complex, we're so stuck in our head doing so many things that you think you should do, you know, usually not for yourself. You're running around, becomes too complex, you become so focused on the details and you start to really lose that insight or that sense of self. Yeah. And that is crucial for health, yeah. So all that said, let's have some fun. I want to talk about a couple of big words, yeah. which hopefully doesn't add too much complexity, but it's certainly well worth exploring. Now, a lot of what we're talking about is based on the idea that the brain can change and you touched on neuroplasticity. So could you maybe just share a few more thoughts around what that what it means and why that's a big win for anyone who's wanting to improve in some area of their life? Yeah, neuroplasticity literally means the plasticity of the nerve cell or the neuron, and that has pros and cons. So I think a lot of people would tend to think that neuroplasticity is always a good thing, and it is, but we can also have, it's like a double-edged sword. So if we get stuck in, you know, stinking thinking and, you know, we let our emotional emotions rule Um, our mind or overtake our mind and the way we perceive things that's also an example of neuroplasticity but in a bad way and then the knock-on effect to that will start to not regulate our autonomic nervous system so our digestion and our heart rate and our rhythm heart rhythm and blood flow and then all the consequences of those things can be pretty bad for your health obviously and the flip side, the positive side of neuroplasticity is if we are able to, you, I guess, start to incorporate um, some practices and, and stimulate things and, and get that good oxygen into our system, then again, we know that the neurons will respond really well to that. And then they start talking to their other neurons or, you know, that what we call connectivity in the brain and, and the whole Um, nervous system so it doesn't matter where you start whether you've been blessed with good genes and you're not smart or whatever it is you know all these negative thoughts that come into people's mind it doesn't matter where you're at we can always change it's just to me you know knowledge is so powerful it's just like knowing that science is all behind this and just having some guidelines to just start slowly and you know neuroplasticity means we can change our brain so it doesn't mean that, you know, you get to a certain age and it's all downhill. Sure, there's things that, you know, 
don't work as efficiently as they used to, but there's a lot of benefits as we get older. And if you can tap into that, then, you know, you can just literally become, that's wisdom, you know, becoming smarter in in those ways and uh, as opposed to getting stuck and our life becomes a lot more narrow. So neuroplasticity is just a fancy name for saying that we're able to adapt and change our neurons, our nerve cells, which is exciting. I love that, Robin. Man, for anyone who's trying to go on a journey to improve their life in some way, it's a really good place to start is to explore that world of neuroplasticity, right? And I know for myself, man, it was just so so powerful to know that not only from a like a from a place of skill acquisition, so the idea of getting better at something, which is awesome, to know that my brain can adapt that way, but knowing that it can also, and you've alluded to this really well throughout this conversation already, can also change my thought patterns. Right, so if I'm stuck in a negative thought pattern, which is you know it's a number, it's a whole rabbit hole to go down as to why that's taken place, but that then moves or leads to anxiety challenges or digestion issues or or sleep problems or whatever it might be. But knowing that even even on a um, conscious or mindful level that that can change too is just like it's super powerful. It's exciting, and that's what that's what you know floats my boat. I'm I'm so passionate about that stuff i just wish everybody else was sometimes yeah (laughs) we'll get there yeah the thing is though is um most people just expect a quick fix even if you've got a chronic problem they expect a quick fix and it's like you know what it took a long time to get to this point um you know it's very unusual for things to just go downhill overnight it's things that lead up to it you know, and when it's this big slippery slope as when you're on the downhill, but it's like just valuing yourself and putting in the hard work. You know, it's no quick fix, that's for sure. Could you tell us a bit about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems? We talk about this in our sessions. Uh, what's the distinction between the two? Yeah. And what's why should people care? So they're all sort of together and it's not like we turn off one and turn on the other it's more of a a balance or a synchronicity between the two and most people would have heard of um, you know the fight flight or the sympathetic nervous system and rest and digest those sort of functions which um, are primarily coordinated by the parasympathetic nervous system I like to even make it simpler than that and think about the red button being your sympathetic and your green button, your parasympathetic. Your red button is really, really important for survival and for blood flow. So if we're under stress, and this can be perceived or real stress, which perhaps we'll, we'll get a chance to have a bit of a chat about that later, it doesn't matter what sort of stress it is, your sympathetic nervous system is going to start to become, I guess, more of the player as opposed to your parasympathetic nervous system. So that will mean that, you know, you need to see what you're doing. You need to see your way out of some sort of stressful situation. So literally we'll start to get changes in our eyes and our pupils, our posture changes because, you know, we're under a perceived threat. You know, no one likes to feel stressed or pushed or under the pump. So our posture changes. And like what we were chatting about at the start, we're going to get into more of a, um, you know, rounded shoulder, flexed arms, you know, flex at the hips, those sort of postures in order to run away from something or to attack something. And that's 
exactly what happens. That's what the brain thinks is happening to us. The sympathetic nervous system is not all bad, though. Like we, as I said at the start, we need it for survival because without it, you know, our we're not going to be able to shunt enough blood to areas that we need, like our, our big muscles and our, our heart. On the flip side, the green button or the, the parasympathetic nervous system is all about that, you know, rest and chill and, you know, and my need to, you know, maybe not exercise straight after I've had my lunch because those two systems don't work together. You know, we need to rest in order. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't feel good either. And yeah, so, you know, in order for us to digest our food. So, you know, when we, we're going through the day, it's really nice to be able to just be aware of how much you're pushing your red buttons all the time, especially in this modern world in a, in a very busy way that we, we live our lives. But also make time to train your brain, again, neuroplasticity, train your body and your brain and your, your mind to be able to drop back into that parasympathetic. And that's very, very healing space. So it doesn't mean necessarily that we need to, you know, take a chill pill all the time, but the more that you train yourself to be able to realise where you are operating at, what do I feel like, then most people will start to wake up to the fact that their red buttons are pushed way more than their green buttons. And that can interfere with sleep because you're on high alert. You know, you're waiting for that subconsciously, you're waiting for that threat to come. You know, you could be lying in bed and the car might drive down the road and you wake up and, or, you know, you're not in a deep enough sleep. And that's because your sympathetic nervous system is more primed or more plastic than your parasympathetic. And long-term, what can happen if you're in that red zone or that sympathetic dominant state, apart from posture changes and heart rate and heart rhythm and all those things was alluded to, it will also affect your immune system. It will affect your, um, you know, in some ways, you know, it downregulates your immune system so it can, you know, become sick quite often and not recover or it can make your immune system hypervigilant and that, you know, then starts to open up a, a whole another conversation with regards to allergies and sensitivities and intolerances. So, again, this, you know, nervous system controls and coordinates everything so it's not like one one of the sympathetic uh, you know sympathetic nervous system is turned off and the and the parasympathetic's turned on. It's this real um, synchronicity between the two, and they're primarily, yeah. I guess, integrated or organised in the brainstem, which is um, you know an area for survival, and we can you know very important areas that we need to look after, which we'll, we'll probably talk about later on but well let's stay in that lane and, and that, yeah that's super interesting um, and just to digress just for a second if i may in case anyone listening gets some value robin that was, it was very very well said and i i would go as far as to say that one of the biggest breakthroughs for me personally in my quote unquote journey i suppose to self-optimization was learning about the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and like you said it's kind of a bit of a dance between the two and like mm -hmm. i think the key is that self-awareness yes of that duality and for me learning about okay rather than not having i guess any sort of clarity around what i'm experiencing and putting it down to just simply oh i feel yuck i, I feel shit i'm not sleeping well but i sort of don't know why just the awareness of going okay 
I could very well be primed, like you said, in the sympathetic nervous system right now, perhaps unnecessarily. And I think just knowing that, and we can maybe touch on if we have time, some ways to kind of get back into that parasympathetic nervous system, just knowing that was just so powerful and improved my sleep and improved digestion, things of that nature. And I know people listening will relate to that in some way. So I just wanted to expand on that a little. Yeah. But the way you explain it with the green and red button, a really good approach. It's easy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) very much so. So let's stay in that lane then. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about stress. Stress. So what is it? What's actually happening? Yep. And taking place in our body when we're stressed and perhaps where you see in today's world, some of the biggest culprits are for creating unnecessary or or too much stress. <laughs> yeah, the modern world. It's interesting because we're recording this sort of, um, you know, we're still in a little bit of isolation and coronavirus time. And I think mm. this has been a nice space for most of us to actually slow down a little bit. And I think that's where we all, you know, get a bit stuck is we tend to just do too much, think too much. You know, it's it's like... You're making all this stuff up in your head, but you don't realize it that, oh my God, I'm so stressed because I've got to check my how many emails and then I've got to run the kids here and go and pick up that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's just like, what is going on in our, in our mind, in our body? Guilty. Yeah, we've all been guilty of that. And I think the biggest thing is your brain, your body actually thinks when you think like that, your brain and body per- perceives it, so it's perceived stress that we've made up or society's expectations, but your brain and body don't don't know that. They think it's the tiger's running after me. So they're in survival mode. And when you look at it like that, real stress versus perceived stress or what we've made up, it's like, what am I doing to myself? It's just phenomenal. And, you know, we are we do need a little bit of stress. Stress is not all bad. And it, it's a term you may have heard before called eustress, e, as in E-U. And, it, you know, we, we can't just sit back into that parasympathetic and just, you know, be chilling all the time. We need a little bit of pressure. A little bit of pressure is good, sure. but not all the time. And, you know, but we've lost the ability to be able to, step out of that and then what comes is that lack of clarity and you don't know whether which circle you're turning in where to go so long short-term stress is fine that's what we're actually designed for and this goes back to the primitive days you know when we okay we're a bit hungry and we need we need to scrounge around to find some food or we need to run away from an animal or hide and, and get shelter and those things but we don't need to operate like that in 2020 and yet we've lost that so long-term stress then starts to really damage the body and not just things we've chatted about before with posture and heart rate and heart rhythm and those sorts of things but you know on a cellular level it'll start to cause um, oxidation in the body and that can lead to cellular damage depending on your genetic predisposition, then it opens up a whole world that will possibly lead you down cancer pathway or lead you down atherosclerosis and damaging your blood vessels and strokes and heart disease and inflammation. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. It'll just depend on what your circumstances are and what your environment is, you know, whether you're 
you're eating really well but you just don't stop or you know what you're genetically predisposed to so it'll depend on how it's expressed and that's to me why symptoms are not always that important they're they're important when we have them to ourselves that we listen and think well where did it all come from sure and yeah so stress is is what kills us in modern the modern world and most of us are often only focused on this the symptom of it and then we try and band-aid that symptom but if you don't get to the root cause and you know try and work on your own stuff your own trauma your own fears and your own lifestyle like you know why am I running around doing all this sort of stuff is it because I feel like I need to prove myself to someone or um you know when you think about it we're we're so blessed but we make it all up in our head and that's why we need to getting back to the start you know think well we need to actually stop have some insight into yourself and your life and train yourself to think better and then you'll realize huh well, I'm going to stop doing that because that's not actually helping me. It's pushing my red buttons all the time. And once you start to create a little bit of space, then you can start to pull more things in or invite things in that are actually helping serve you, which is, you know, calming down that stress response. There's something called metabolic syndrome as well. You may have heard of that. Yeah. Which, um, you know, when people start to put weight around the center of their body, and uh, that's very unhealthy. We know that, um, you know, from heart health and those sorts of things, you know, and they're things that the body will start to then, cons- again, depending on your genetics, but the body will start to conserve and you'll start to put on weight even if you're, or lose weight, the opposite can happen as well. Mm. But even if you're exercising and you're eating really well, but you're stressed, the stress will always be the the ruler i guess yeah it's crazy isn't it i read a book recently and it kind of took me down this path of stress and taking it more seriously to see the impact it had it was the stress solution by dr raymond chatterjee i think it is he's like he's a british physician i think but um anyway it's just a really good book and talks a lot about what we're sharing today and it's just super fascinating the next obvious question really then becomes i guess is okay what do i do or how do i start to ease some of that stress i think step one is probably that self-awareness but then step two is starting to look at some strategies particularly if someone's in a position listening going oh sounds great but hey i've got a boss that needs this done or i've got four kids or i've got to pay a mortgage (laughs) it can get challenging and and we could probably talk for hours about the list of all the different things that you can do but one easy approach that people can at least slot into their day a little bit is meditation. Yeah. It gets talked about a lot in today's world, which is awesome, but it gets approached differently. Some people it's a spiritual experience. Some people it's purely um, scientific, um, but either way it's, you know, there, I know there's a lot of science behind helping alleviate stress and improving the body's response to things. What are your thoughts around meditation and what does that process look like? Where do people start? I think meditation is fantastic. It's certainly helped me on my journey. It's it's interesting though, just working with uh, some of the people that I you know get the privilege to to meet is it's often a big barrier for people because they think, well, I can't do that. My mind is busy, and you know it's like um, asking someone to run a marathon when they can't even walk around the block. And I think that just we all need to just bring things back again to the basics and start with little, little, little steps. I went on a little meditation course quite a few years back, but I remember the presenter used the words or had this analogy, which always stuck in my mind, 
he said, just look at putting in a little comma in your day and a full stop. And, you know, a full stop might be sitting down, meditating for five minutes or 20 minutes or whatever that may be. But a comma could be just stop and take some breaths. And, you know, that may be one minute, 60 seconds, which everybody can just, you know, if you're aware and you want to change, just start really, really small. Don't like, don't bite off too much that you, can, you can't chew. And just taking a breath or doing, you know, some breath awareness, we all feel better. Look, all of us do. And so I think that's a really nice way to start because when you're in that, you know, yep, got a grumpy boss and a mortgage and the kids doing your head in and all of these things going on and you don't know where to turn, just keep things really, really simple. So commas and full stops I think are a good way to start. I like that. Yeah, really, really good. And I actually, I'm sure I've done this with you, Liam, or if not, we'll, we'll do it. But um, I often, in with people I work with, it's like, well, I'm having my little comma here as well. Let's, you know, do a minute or two minutes of just sitting and and get in tune with our body and maybe a couple of different breath techniques or breath awareness techniques. And the breath is a really nice, the breath isn't meditation as such, but it's a really nice way to start and anchor the mind. And, you know, our mind is going to wander. We're all human. That's what the mind does. But again, bring it back to neuroplasticity concepts. The more that you practice something, your body, your nerve cells, your pathways become more used to, more practice and adapt to finding that little space more often. You know, so practice is is really, really important. The other really good thing that's around now is there's so many free online tutorials, support systems, you know, apps. There's a million apps on meditation, guided meditation, and a lot of people find that to be quite useful when they start. So that's another really nice way to just make you feel like you're being supported, you know, to have someone talking you through some some meditation. It could be music as well. The thing is what may work for me would may be different to what works for you. So it's important to find something that you feel really peaceful and you know, even if you listen to some a guided meditation, if you don't like that person's voice, forget it. <laughs> find a new app. Yeah. Or a yeah, a new a new teacher or whatever. I like that a lot. And it's it's we're not doing it to tick a box, are we? No. To literally calm your nervous nervous system to feel better. So I think that trial and error. Yeah. And also knowing that the same way, you know, you can't pick up a, a golf club and, and have one swing and expect a hole in one if you've never played before. You know, you've got to train. I think people understand that concept. But when it comes to something like meditation or even, you know, adopting a more positive or optimistic thought pattern. I think that gets lost and it's it's the same approach. It's repetition, repetition. Totally. And getting back to think well, like we, we've run little meditation classes at my office and, you know, after we do a couple of, you know, different styles of meditation, some people say, oh, I was no good at that. I don't know. And it's like, listen to your thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's like as soon as you, you start to beat yourself up, you're not, serving yourself you know your red buttons start to get pushed you're already self-doubting and though they're the things that you just need to be aware of it's like well we've all got to start somewhere and 
the thing about meditation, I like to think of it now, and this is not how I started meditating, but now I really look forward to it because to me it's like I'm coming home to myself and I think when you grow in your practice, it's like, well, why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, why wouldn't you want to be more in tune with yourself? And then it will start to open up that spiritual side, you know, which is just beautiful. So everybody's entry point is going to be different and everybody's experience will be different. And I think it's good to get exposed to many different ways. And then, again, speak to people, you know, it's not like you need to form a group, but now we can we can talk about meditation a lot and maybe find some people that you would help support you meditating in groups is also a really good thing as well because of that energy that's produced but it's not you know mumbo jumbo like we used to think it is it's they you know use it in corporate world now a little bit different to mindfulness but it you know meditation can just open up a doorway that can just help the nervous system and health in a big way. So it's, I think it's very, very important and I wish that we were taught it when we were little or that we were yep. exposed to it and I guess just made it part of our practice like it is in some cultures, you know, like Western culture. Yeah, so it's a big one. I do agree. I wish, um, thinking back to high school days, I never I never became much of a chef or decent cook myself, so I probably could have gone without home economics and maybe <laughs> slotted in a uh, mindfulness meditation practice once yeah. a week. It would have been a lot more appealing, I think. Totally. The irony of it, it's almost paradoxical, but having that kind of practice and, and adopting a mindfulness approach to life where possible, it actually creates a lot more productivity. Because you can you can perform better totally. So in a business setting, in a you know, sports setting, like the the paradox of it, of taking a minute and becoming grounded and things like things of that nature. Um, sure, you're taking a moment out of your day for that moment, but you're really setting it up the rest of your day or the or the rest of your week or however you look at it. Right. I think the biggest barrier that like it's different if you've just got yourself to think about, but if you put yourself in the context of a family and children and dependents and your spouse and a job and all of those things like you um, you suggested before. It's, it's investing in yourself. There's always got to be something to do. But if you don't actually stop and invest a little bit of time into yourself every single day, it's like, well, what are, what are we here for? I mean, you know, and that's when you, you actually start to get into that stress chemistry quite quickly and we don't know how to get out of it. So when people, you know, say it's an excuse, the way I say it, it's just an excuse, but it's like, oh, well, I'm too tired or I've got too much to do. It's like, well, if you're tired, stop, you know, rest. And then once we've got a little bit more energy, just choose the best part of the day when you can just stop and, you know, start to create or practice some meditation or get back to some of that breath awareness and don't expect things to shift in three days <laughs> but notice the smallest notice a little bit of difference from when you you just start your minute or five minutes and when you finish and that in itself is creating more awareness so if you don't actually check in and then check in when you finish you'll you're also missing a big part of meditation as well because you, you know, you just, you're not becoming aware and awareness is really, really important part of growth. Yeah. So it's, it's putting value in yourself as well. 
and that self-love and compassion and you know loving your imperfections like okay I this was a really great meditation session but you know last night's was really bad and you know don't beat yourself up for it it's like it just is yeah that's important just quickly on that I found um and I don't know if you if you would agree I've, I've found it super beneficial I suppose is the word to kind of build my self-esteem and I've spoken to people about this off air as well to build my self-esteem not around how well I executed something, for example, meditation, but just the fact that I did it, that I had the self-awareness to go, okay, right now I'm potentially, you know, I'm creating far too much stress chemistry, um, like you touched on there. And this is an opportunity just to take a moment to relax, one, to feel good, two, to actually perform better, and then three, just to show up, you know, to friends and family and clients and things of that nature the way I would like to. I think having the awareness and then taking the time to do it, regardless and not judging the experience, which I know is a very yogi sort of term, yes. but really not judging the experience, but instead building some pride and credibility around the fact that I actually prioritize the practice, that in and of itself, I feel huge. Yeah. Totally. And it, uh, that's a huge one. I think deep, deep down, it all gets back, and this all ties into things we've been talking about, is in our subconscious, we think most people think that I am not enough. We are enough, like you're perfect as you are. So stop beating ourselves up. We need to actually be able to sit with our imperfections, which is about being human and no one's perfect. So stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to, you know, jump because people keep asking you to jump all the time. And, you know, when it, and investing that time in yourself. So what you just said is perfect. It's like, yay, you know, not only do I feel a little bit better, but I've invested some time in myself. Again, with practice, you'll really start to recognise, you know, where, where you've come from and where you are. And every six months or so where you are, you, know, you just keep growing and growing. Um, yeah, so it's not beating yourself up. A couple more for you, Robin, and you've been... Uh, really generous with your time and incredibly valuable. I really appreciate you making the effort. That's uh, exactly why I wanted you on the show is just to share some of these thoughts and it's been amazing. So thank you again. Could you talk a little bit more about the gut-brain connection, if you would? What impact does the food we eat have on our body and brain? You kind of touched on it earlier, but maybe riff on that a little bit more, the gut-brain connection and why we should take that a bit more seriously. Sure. I think um, when most people think about the gut-brain connection. So the brain is connected to the gut and the gut is connected to the brain. Most people would tend to focus on the gut and the food side, and that's absolutely massive, which I'll talk about in a sec, but it also goes the other way. So you would have possibly heard of the vagal nerve, vagus nerve, which you know, is connected to so much of our autonomic nervous system. So again, the nervous system is driving our autonomic nervous system, so things that we shouldn't have to be consciously aware of. And one of the big things is our gut and our digestion. So we all know that, you know, if you're anxious and stressed, that you don't digest your food properly. So if we're not working towards managing stress levels, then it goes without saying that you're going to start to have some digestive issues down the track. And that could be things like, I mean, I talk about this stuff all, all day. It could be, you know, farting. It could be bloating. It could be 
constipation, it could be irritable bowel syndrome, it could be diarrhea, it could be indigestion, it could be noisy belly. I mean, that, that's pretty much encompasses most of it. But most people would then tend to look at, well, what am I eating? You know, and the more that that gut becomes dysfunctional, it starts to damage the gut, if you like. And so we've got, the gut is, is a simple tube, you know, where we put our food in the mouth, hopefully chew your food because that's where digestion starts. If you break your food down into very, very small pieces, then you're putting a lot less load on the digestive system. So as the food comes into your stomach and further down into your intestines, you think about when you're in a rush and when you're stressed, do we chew our food properly? We're not mindful of it. So we're probably just taking about three mouthfuls, three chews and down the hatch and expect our digestive system to to digest your food. It's like you're asking so much of your, your gut. And what will happen is the lining of this tube, the lining of your gut will start to become a little bit irritated and uh, I guess the end result is the cells can actually start to become a little bit permeable and some of our food, healthy food, it can be very healthy food, can start to set up an inflammatory response not only on the gut wall but what will then happen is, is these chemicals then start to move into the bloodstream and then it feeds back into our brain or our brain stem initially. So it's this big cycle, if you can see that. So we, you know, when when that happens, we need to work on healing our gut because the gut being, you know, the digestion, it's meant to digest food, but suddenly, or not suddenly, it happens over time, is you're unable to digest this, you're unable to digest that, I feel really lethargic after eating this or really bloated or it gives me wind and so we need to eliminate a lot of things to take pressure off the gut but that's not the answer so a lot of people would stop there but you need to then heal it and then start to reintroduce some healthier food so either way you look at it it's this big cycle that you need to look at both ends always and so some practitioners will only look at one end to me, I think we, we just need to look at both. So looking at things that are easy to the gut, for the gut to digest, it's going to nourish your body. Start with the basics, chew your food, try and heal the gut. So from literally what you're putting in and then look at the nervous system. So things that we've sort of touched on before, your red button, your green buttons, meditation, the breath awareness, your posture, your thinking, all of those sorts of things because that will affect your digestive system. So I guess that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So it's important not just to focus on one end. You get results, but they're not going to be as long-lasting or as hard work as if you look at both ends of that cycle, the gut and the brain. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think um, it, absolutely. That's really well said. And it, it, it seems like a pretty logical approach to consider both um, both ends, the gut and the brain simultaneously, particularly when you consider, um, like you touched on, the, was it the vagus nerve that runs from the gut to the brain? Is that what you mentioned? Yeah, yeah. That super highway, like it, it would. It's huge. One would assume there'd be a fair bit of communication between the two, so it makes sense to um, consider both. And and the thing, the thing is, is this vagus nerve and a lot of these areas in the brainstem are not just connected to say gut. It's connected to your heart rate and heart rhythm and your posture and those sorts of things. So what will happen is 
the more off we're feeling is we'll start to, you know, it might be anxiety, it might be balance disorders, feeling a little bit off. Like all of this stuff is, when I say integrated, it all comes in and is processed in a similar area or the same area initially in the brainstem. And so your gut may not be the first symptom that you're aware of. It might be just feeling a little bit uneasy because your gut's not right or it might be tripping over your feet and feeling, you know, when you turn your head quickly or get up out of the chair you might quickly, you might feel dizzy. And that might be what's annoying you the most. But again, we need to consider the gut as well. You know, you may have also heard that the gut contains about 70% of our immune system. So either way you look at it, it's, it's all feeding back into the central nervous system, but the central nervous system is controlling and coordinating it. So you can't separate it. In fact, you know, some people say it's like our second brain, you know, maybe our heart as well. You know, our heart chakra, our heart energy is, is also another brain as well. I feel like we could riff on that for just hours and hours. Oh, ages. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'll have to, I'll have to get you back on sometime soon. And just quickly, because you did touch on anxiety. I know for myself, and I wonder if people listening can relate, I, I found that one of the um, certainly the most, one of the most tangible and quickest ways to kind of alleviate some of the anxiety that I've struggled with over the years has just been adjusting my diet. And like I said, it's a rabbit hole we could dive into about you should eat this or you shouldn't eat that. But I think even just having the awareness and the trial and error to find, you know, find your approach, I suppose, but getting that right, man, it was, it was massive for me. Yeah. Food is medicine. It is. Food is definitely medicine, yeah, and it's it's a big one. But, you know, when we're not feeling well, we've all been there, it's like we don't want to eat well and, you know, the motivation and you want the quick fix, you want your brain to feel better, you want to feel clearer, you want to have more energy, you know, and so we can go down that rabbit hole as well. But, you know, just keep it simple. Keep it simple to start with and chew your food. And I've had patients that have just come back after two weeks of mindful eating and chewing their food that have sworn to me, I feel so much more energetic, so much better, just from making that one change. You know, so digestion is is massive. Yeah, gut the gut is massive. It is huge. Hey, one more for you, Robin. And I I think I will get you back on here just to uh, expand on so many more things I want to talk about. I want to explore concussion. I want to talk about a few things. And but. Just because I'm really interested, and I reckon our listeners might get some value too. To finish off, could you touch on some of your studies that you've been expanding on recently? I know you've looked into sound auditory therapies and, and things of that nature. That's a world that I'm a little bit ignorant to, so I'm really fascinated by it. Could you tell us just a, a bit about what that approach looks like, what the potential benefits might be, um, and maybe how the amygdala in our brain may be involved? The good old amygdala. Yes, this is huge. I, I guess the last five years or so, on because of my journey and, and my knowledge, I, I just sort of boiled it down to try, want to try to get to the root cause of our suffering in a nutshell. And sound is sound and vibration. So they're actually carried in the same nerve. They are our very primitive senses, if you like, that we are able to pick up in utero. So when we're actually inside your mum's womb, you're able to hear things, mum's heartbeat, you're able to hear noises from outside and you're able to feel vibrations. 
And we know that, you know, that happens at a very early age in, in gestation. And we also know that, you know, we've all experienced how sound and music can create such an emotional um, experience or, you know, it can motivate us, it can make us cry, it can make us uplifted, it can give us, pin, you know, tingling, all sorts of things. The other thing is these areas, I mean, they're processed on so many different parts of the brain. It's not just a one piece of real estate, I suppose, in the, in the brain. But we know that some of the very deep, what I call limbic areas, so the limbic system is a part of our system where our emotions are processed, but it's also very closely connect, connected to our autonomic nervous system. So I keep coming back to that uh, again gut function, heart rate, heart rhythm, those sorts of things. And we know that these areas are so well connected as is memory, so our emotional memory. Now, that's very different from remembering something that you need to go down to the shop and buy and you you know, you know, can't remember five things. So these, we all know that when we are we have an emotional experience, if it created such a big fear or a big experience in your life, you tend not to forget it. So this is sort of where all this primitive old stuff in the nervous system, and I say primitive old stuff, we all have it in us, but as we grow and develop from a baby into a toddler, into a child and so forth, we learn how to inhibit this stuff. And if, or or I guess we learn how to regulate it better. And so the amygdala is a part of our subconscious brain that if it becomes too plastic, as in if it's firing off without too much input, this is a bad way, then we're able to, we're not able to actually regulate our emotions. And it all comes from our deep fears and our deep memories that we haven't processed properly. So we can use sound or different forms of vibration to help tap into that and pro and, and are able to get that organized a little bit better or more integrated into the nervous system. So to me, that's what I'm really excited about this year is, is using some sound and listening therapy through very specific tools and then leading to some more emotional stuff without having to go to a counselor or a psychologist to talk about our stuff, but being able to move through our trauma because we all have trauma. And, and most of us have, have we've been conditioned to just push it down, push it, push it down and just get on with this busy life of ours. But if we can work through that deep stuff, then you're working at a foundational level and then it'll the flow on effect through the nervous system is just huge. I know it's hard to explain, but it's... No, that's, you've done a really, really good job there of um, giving a, a good snapshot of what that's all about. And like you said, you're, you're going to be exploring more of that this year, so perhaps... Next time we chat, we can even dive into that a bit more. But that, um, even just on a surface level, and like I touched on, I I don't know a lot about it, which is why I find it's super fascinating to kind of hear you share your thoughts around um the the potential benefits. And even just on a surface level, I don't know everyone will relate to this. Put music on, it changes your state, and you can, like you said, you can cry, you can want to dance, you can want to jump up and down. So even just seeing that on a surface level, it's pretty clear something's going on it can really set up the entire day like i can feel better for um for the entire day sometimes uh, you know after dancing around in the silly fashion in the morning to my favorite song that's a very surface level thought around what you're explaining there but 
clearly there's something happening yes within the limbic region or within the brain yeah and and the body you know the body body holds all that you know all emotion is stored in our body so you know and that leads into what I do as a, a manual you know as a chiropractor and, and the things that you actually physically feel in the body and you see like it's all in there it's just um learning how to tap into it yeah Robin again thank you for your time just one final one or final thought. Is there an ultimate impact that you want to have with the work you do? I would just like people to be more aware and more uh, responsible for ourselves. Like it's very altruistic, but I think, it, you know, the world would be a better place. So, yeah. I'm in your corner. I wish there was more more people that were, you know, just passionate and interested in just taking care of themselves and, you know, and responsibility for our for ourselves I think it would be to have a much better society much better world so this is just my way of um, you know how I guess fell into it or chose to get into this work I love it it's very rewarding and knowledge is very powerful as you're you know, most people are aware so aware of that so I think the more that we're exposed to these things then um, that's a good thing too. So finally where can people connect with you if they want to hear more they want to uh, potentially see you for some assistance where can they connect with you yeah look my um my email is office at cairo neurorehab.com.au so that's probably the best way is just to email email the office with their queries or if they want to connect or come and see me and i'm just in in greensboro so yeah but um, yeah, love to help. I, I enjoy helping people. So lovely to talk to you as well today, Liam. Thank you.